and welcome to the Free Like Me podcast by FLM. This podcast aims to help people like you navigate the world of financial planning. We'll be delving into things that we and our clients care about, talking about hot topics and inviting you to get to know our team a little bit better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the next podcast from Free Like Me, where we are looking at how you can get back to basics and really take control of your own financial future. So two wonderful guests with me today. First of all, Charlotte Olson. Uh, She's a mum of two. She works with lots of families to help them uh, plan for their futures, but she's also very passionate about financial education and she is here today to give us some really great insights into those people that might want to take financial advice. So Charlotte, how are you? How's the last few weeks been? Hi, Ben. Thanks for the intro. I'm good. Um, Yeah, last few weeks have been good. Typically, we find um, January is quite a busy time of year in the world of finances. People want to start thinking about how they can make changes. Um, So yeah, using my lockdown life, um, helping clients really. Fantastic. And my second guest, uh, well, he he probably doesn't need an introduction. We've been trying to pin down his agent for a number of months now, and we finally got him in the diary. He's a fellow ex-boy band member, and uh, I'm really delighted to be joined by James Wilson today. James, how are you? Yeah, very well, Ben. Um, uh, All good this end, thanks. And and like Charlotte, um, you know, people tend to ignore the majority of what we say in in the end of November and December. So so January tends to be very busy, uh, you know giving out high quality advice. Yeah, well, I think people don't want to talk to us at the best of times, and let, let alone November and December, right? Yeah, well, exactly. A write-off. <laughs> Great. Right, so guys, diving into this, um, we, we've got quite a few uh, topics that we wanted to cover. Um, starting with you, Charlotte. So so when someone starts to think about the future and, and their own finances, as, as people often do at this time of year, they often might think, is financial advice right for them? So what are some key indicators that an individual or that an individual should look for that would mean they should be seeking financial advice? Yeah, so we typically find that um, key indicators tend to be driven by an event. So a client will come to us if they've had a change in their job, they've got mon- multiple pensions or a large tax bill, a redundancy, or if they're selling their business or thinking about it, going through a divorce, if they've got elderly parents or inheritance. The list kind of goes on and on. I mean, what we find is the more time we have prior to that event, the better. But actually, in reality, what happens is people ignore, 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 and then suddenly come to us at the last minute. Um, But coming around away from the events onto your question around what we find indicators and useful triggers are, it's really someone that's looking to save, whether it's a regular basis or if they've got a lump sum. If they're looking to grow their wealth, i.e. they've done really well by building um, their wealth through their earnings, but then their money's just sitting in their bank and being eroded by inflation. If they're looking to reduce their tax, they want to start um, using their tax allowances, or they just want to build a financial plan and get greater clarity. So I'd say those those five indicators are key for us. Yeah, and I think from our side, it's it, all of that stuff, as, as well as comfort. A lot of people are very happy to run stuff themselves when it's small amounts of money. But I think that everyone has a sort of limit within their within their mind where actually they think this is starting to be a reasonable um, chunk of money comparative to, to before. So actually, you know, I think it's time for to, to get expert advice and see what see what can be done there. Yeah, I think there always always that 
trigger point and, and there always becomes a moment where maybe an individual is not as comfortable making some of those decisions on 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 their on their own um i, I think what i often find in these scenarios is if we just flip it around slightly and and look at what makes a good financial advisor so so james i'm not saying you are a good financial advisor but but if you were um <laughs> if you were in this example um what what are some of the skills that you think that that should you should be able to offer to your clients i think i think the key skill that we have as an advice team um is is empathy in that you really need to to want to help and really understand what what people need and i think having that that level of empathy means that you're off a, on a good start in terms of the the journey that you guys are going to go through um and also it's it's it helps to engender trust because at the end of the day what people are looking for is is someone they trust long term for their to take over their financial uh, investments and and really help them on that on that move through to retirement and beyond so if if you can engender trust and and use empathy and and have have a a genuine interest in who you're working with that i think is the key skill that that we all have and all, all demonstrate and um, Charlotte, coming over to you, you know, what, what since you've been advising clients, what do you think are some of the best qualities that, that a financial advisor can offer their clients? I think there's, I think two things really. What I say to clients is it's it's about trust, as James has just said, and knowledge. So providing clients with knowledge so they have greater clarity on their choices, and then leaving them to make those decisions. Um, so I think those are the two things. Um, I think if I'm looking at myself and why I think I'm a good advisor, um, again, as James has said, it's listening and analysing, building relationships. Essentially, that's what we're doing and planning. I personally love a good plan, whether it's in my personal life or with my clients or my family. Just plan, plan, plan. And that's kind of what we do. I think the listening point is is massive, isn't it? You know, we when we're with a client, we, we should be spending very little of that time talking. And, and a lot of it should be us, us understanding what a client uh, has already, what's important to them, what makes them tick. And, and then we can ultimately, as Charlotte said, drive that, that plan for each individual. I think, you know, when people are listening to this, they might look and say, well, I don't need financial advice now. I don't have enough money. I'm, I'm not going to you know, warrants having financial advice. So is, is there, is that a thing? Is, and I'll come to you first, Charlotte. Is, is there a sort of certain amount of money people need before they, they engage in advice? Yeah. So starting with your first question, is that a thing? I think it definitely is. So I, when we see people, one of the first questions they say is, am I worthy of advice? Um, and it's that perception. Um, do, do I have enough? Um, and I guess that's, that's part of our process. So we, we offer like a two stage process when we meet clients to help them understand if it is right for them or not. And we always say to clients from the outset, um, you know, we, we're not 100 percent sure whether we are right or not. And it's just about going through that process together to, to determine that. I've forgotten what your second question was. There was definitely a part two to my answer. <laughs> second question was just around um, whether people need a certain amount of money to to start engaging with an advisor. Yeah. So, again, that's part of the two stage process is 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 defining what a, what a client wants to achieve and I, I'd say no is the short answer because you could be wanting just to invest regularly so I, I receive a sum of money each month and I want to start start um, you know, monthly investments or you've got a lump sum but again it could it might not be a lump sum that you have now it might be a future event i.e I'm about to receive an inheritance in x many months or years so you know I, I think definitely the key message is 
people do get put off by the idea that they don't have enough. But actually for us, it's about sitting down as early as possible and we can help define that, whether whether it's right or whether it's a comeback in the future. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think actually there is no, no such thing as being too young. I think if you look at, at all the, the data and all the sort of research that comes out, the younger you start planning for your future and, and, and being responsible with your finances, obviously the better. And I think the more we can help educate people and help give people the, the facts around that to make their decision, uh, the better the better that people will, will be able to to make those decisions. So I don't think there's I don't think there's there's too early. I think that that if you're doing the right things at the right time in the in the right way from a from a tax or investment point of view, um, there's no such thing as too early. Yeah, and I think there's another piece there which which we've talked a little bit about over recent weeks. Um, and Charlotte, I know this is something you're you're very big on, but engaging the next generation. So so typically a lot of clients that we would deal with might be um, in the later years of their life, or they might be in a position where they have complex scenarios. And and it's only when people get to you know maybe their mid thirties that they start to seek financial advice. But Charlotte, I know you've been doing a lot of work with with trying to engage with uh, clients' children and the next generation. So I'm wondering whether you could just you know talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, as you kind of summarised, I'm lucky enough to base a lot of my business on working with three generations of clients. So that's the client, their parents, and looking at you know inheritance tax planning and helping um, their parents through their retirement in later years. And then, as you say, looking at children um, and grandchildren. I think everyone likes to you know help others and invest um, for others' future, and, and and key to that is looking at children, as you say. And there's no age that's too young to start investing. So people aren't aware of the fact that kids from birth have allowances, and I think it's you know really important to start thinking about them and the fact that the great thing about investing for children is you have the power of time where as you've just said a lot of people come to us at retirement where time is of the essence of running out and and so we help people you know start start investing young from birth and hopefully that means i mean you know if, if more people can do that and families can start the conversation then then hopefully uh, children will be engaged in in the financial planning from a much younger age so it's it's a great uh, great initiative to get started for anyone listening to this try and Try and get your children talking about money as early as possible as well. The, the fact that um, I think was published um, around school. So people build their financial habits from the age of seven um, and they're embedded from that point on. Yet finances aren't included in any curriculums at school or anything. So it is really down to parents, grandparents um, to help educate. And the best way to do that is to make it real, i.e. to start investing for them, for it to be something they can understand and follow and track and you can explain. Um, so I think it's a really important part, as you've just said, Ben, as part of the kind of financial education piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's an area that we, we will continue to drive and um, hopefully the conversation will, will continue to grow in that space. So so someone listening to this, um, if I'm coming back to you, James, if, if someone's listened to this and they think they might be in a stage where they need to seek financial advice, how, how do you even go about that? There, yeah, they're a good question. There are two major ways, I suppose. One is asking your your network, because as we know, more and more people these days are taking financial advice, even if it's still quite a small number. So asking people in your network who who are sort of at your level or above is the obvious starting point where they might have someone to, to help them with their pension or with a with an ISA or whatever. Um, and the second point is, is, you know, the internet is, is, a, is a wash with um, independent reviews or, or um, sites where 
where people can feed back on on any kind of thing like you know that's that's where um you know these these every, you can get reviews on everything these days and financial advice is no different um so things like unbiased.co.uk would be a would be a place where where there are plenty of financial advisors there all of whom have have testimonials from clients so you can start to build a picture of of who you're who you're who you're dealing with and what they're like but again i think i think the best introductions that can be made are through through your network your friends your relations who already work with people in this in this space i was going to say just um you know linkedin is a great place um these days these days where you can you can look for recommendations and other and as well as that um professional relationships like your accountant or a lawyer if you have one um just to ask them and they might they might be able to pass you on to someone yeah exactly i, I think that point of contact's always useful isn't it so i i think secondly on that point um if someone's looking for an advisor to work with, is there is there certain qualities that that person should look for, and, and how would they know that it's going to be a good match for them? So, so coming to you first of all, Charlotte. Yeah, I think that comes back to that point you asked previously about um, what the qualities are for a good advisor. For me, it's just the two things: it's trust and knowledge. So, have they helped provide you with knowledge for you to make those decisions, those financial decisions, and do you feel you can trust them? Um, I think it's like any relationship, you need to be able to open up. I was speaking to someone the other day where they were talking about their experience um, with their advisor and they said they, they held questions back because they just didn't didn't want to give everything. And, you know, that's just a key trigger for me that that relationship isn't right. It's clearly not working if you don't feel like you can open up. So, you know, short answer to your question, trust and um, providing providing clients with knowledge. Absolutely. And I think, I think actually in, in direct response to your question, Ben, how do people know if, if it's going to be the right fit? I think that's very difficult. I think actually, if you're if you're going down this route, it, it is more than worth half an hour of your time to to have a, an initial discussion with with someone you're introduced to or someone you find online, because very quickly you will be able to to work out are these is this the kind of person who who I want to work with in terms of you know are they clear when they're communicating? Do they do they understand and 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 have a an interest in what you're talking about? Do they are they the kind of person who who you would like to work with? And I think the good thing about the way the, the highly regulated way in which we work at the moment is that you do get that time from first connection to actual making a decision on what you're doing. You do have the time to to see how how the person you you've engaged with works and how they operate because I think that's you know that's that's obviously a really important part of the whole process. And I'm sure you know when anyone's met you, James, there's 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 no chance that they're going to look elsewhere once they've they've met such a stand up guy. Um, but but should uh, should people be be looking and, and comparing? Is that something people do? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, not only uh, uh, yeah, not only should they compare, but they they probably do. I think I think you know the the only the only thing that I I've seen through through experience, I suppose, is that is that financial advice is never exactly top of someone's um, to-do list and therefore you know when they're looking for an advisor they they tend to they tend to kind of you know reach out to someone and if if that person is is not a complete you know waste of time then they tend to engage with that person um you know that said the the, the sort of wealthier clients that we look after do have you know banks and, and private banks and, and family offices who they also speak to so we're often being compared in that way and I think I think you know us as a young vibrant set of uh, of advisors come off quite well yeah great I, I think there's a definite synergy there isn't there when you when you find someone that you get on with you're you're 
so much more open to to talk and talk freely. And I think that example was really good you gave Charlotte in terms of if you're not willing to open up to someone, then then maybe it isn't the right from a personality fit because it's not just about is this person a great advisor? Do they do they understand you and do they? I guess is it someone you want to work with for the long term? Because I, I guess Charlotte, th- these are longer term relationships if it comes to financial advice. Yeah, I mean, I think ideally, yes. Clearly, we're not we're never holding a client to signing on the dotted line forevermore, but. That, that is that is the goal and ultimately as you said within my client base I'm looking to work with families um families through three generations and more so you know we're not just looking at that one client's lifetime we're looking at their children and grandchildren in their lifetime um so you know without trying to scare anyone off I'd say you want to, to look at a long-term commitment to work with someone and can you see yourself working with them for life and I think if we flip that on the you know on its head I think the problem with financial advice can be you know, the average age, not clearly for the three of us here, but the average average age for a financial advisor is, um, I think it's 58. And so clearly a financial advisor could retire before the client themselves. And I think that turnover of finding a new advisor or being a passed on um, can be crippling for, for a client experience. So I think where we're lucky is we've we've got longevity within the three of us and we can look to work, you know, to work with clients for for their full lifetime and beyond. I think that's absolutely right. And I think I think that is a question we get a lot is, you know, what happens what happens in 25 years' time, who's looking after me? And I think, you know, if we if we have to cache you, you, me and Charlotte, Ben, uh, we're in our 30s. So, you know, that that is, as Charlotte says, 20, 25 years younger than the average. Plus we all have have younger people working in our team. So, you know, my my assistant Dominic J. Vose is is 24. And so, you know, the, the client knows, therefore, that we've got, you know, he's, he's going to be in the business for 30 years. So they're, they're, the, the longevity piece is, is a huge advantage, I think, in, 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 our, in our practice where we are all, you know, young and, and, and have a, a long time to go in the, in the business. You're beginning to sound like David Brent, James, if you're, you know, in your 30s. I think you're, you're only just uh, in that camp now, aren't you? Well, we're in our thirties. That's the that's the main point. <laughs> yeah, you can get away with that one for a bit longer. Um, so, so really interesting. I think one of the things I wanted to just drill down into a little bit more detail is is if someone's listening to this, what what's the relationship like from a client point of view? What what should they expect? How frequently would they be speaking to you? Is it you know, weekly contact. Uh, how how do you feel that it, it works best coming to you first, Charlotte? Yeah, so I think coming back to that, what makes a good advisor, I think you need to adapt to each client. Every client's different. And I think you need to determine that at the start of the relationship with the client. So it's all about asking the client, what do they want from this service? And set down, you know, define those goals together. I think typically, if if it's an event driven occasion so i.e retirement or a specific inheritance you're clearly going to meet more to begin with whilst you go through that event and then it might die down um generally speaking we we meet with clients online or face to face at least twice a year or more and i think we pride ourselves as a practice and also personally within my business on delivering a really excellent service i think that's 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 the key to to a good relationship yeah, I think that's absolutely right as well. And I think each client is different. Each client will will need their their level of support. Um, and I think, you know, the maximum we we catch up with people is is called a quarterly, I suppose. Um, the minimum is once per year, which I think is is appropriate for, for quite a few people in terms of just keeping things um, you know, keeping them updated and keeping things ticking over. But 
but yeah, each the whole the good the good thing about being self employed as we are is that we we have a service charter and and each client is is serviced in the way that they they need to be serviced and I think that that's far preferable to a sort of standard um, template of of perhaps other places. Are you noticing that the next generation, James, are are interacting differently with you to maybe some of um, your clients who are, who are later on in their career? Is that is that a thing? Um, what do you mean by differently? So do you engage with them in different forms of technology? Do you do you call clients more? Do you use things like WhatsApp? How does how does that work with clients? Yeah, well, okay. So the, the younger generation certainly are more more um, sort of sophisticated in terms of technology. So yeah, any any kind of online content or contact, any uh, WhatsApp or, or FaceTime or anything like that is is obviously the way that they are used to being communicated with and therefore that's that's how we sort of fit in um but that's not to say that the older generation haven't haven't caught up you know one of my the oldest couples that i i look after uh, whatsapp me on a regular basis as do their their children and, and and that kind of thing so so i think people are getting used to especially with the year we've we've all been through people are, are much much better at embracing technology making things more efficient um rather than you know sending sending emails or or, or even letters yeah, and I guess Charlotte. Previously, um, you'd be going to people's houses, you'd be going to their offices to to see clients. Obviously, that's changed over the last twelve months. Uh, do you see that continuing? Do you think it's it's going to be a lasting effect of the pandemic? I think we're probably going to be one of the industries that gets a bit of both. For me, again, without trying to sound like a broken record, to build that trust, I think there's nothing like meeting face to face. So I would say at least once a year, meet sitting down face to face is a is is a good thing, and that we will revert to that. But equally, I think it's great that there is another way of also speaking. Um, we we deal with you know really busy people, and as James says, typically people's finances fit last on their to do list, and so it's a great way to be able to check in via Zoom, via WhatsApp, via um, Teams, and just make sure things are taking over. Because a lot of what we do is kind of behaviour coaching. So how do we make sure we hit those goals on a regular basis? And being able to check in online, um, you know, is, is a really good way of doing that without taking up too much of people's days. Yeah. And I think I think I'd, I'd like to sort of rewind back to if we look back to last year. So so 2020, let's go back to an awful moment where where the pandemic really started to take hold. Um, so 23rd of March was, was a real low point for investment markets. And, and that's the point where people were uh, fighting for toilet roll in the supermarkets. What was... Um, what was your role at that point, James? So, so were you calling clients? Were you letting them reach out to you? What What was your your approach to that? I think one of the the important things in in times of stress is to make sure that you're as visible as possible. So, yes, absolutely, we were we were reaching out to clients um, with with a number of very simple things that they can do. And I think the role of an advisor in in times of turmoil is to avoid irrational behaviour. So. We know through the stats that we have that, that the average holding period of an investment these days is about nine days. You know, our business model is obviously very different to that. So, so if we're if we're taking the time, as Charlotte says, to put together a really good plan and and make sure that that's that's robust and is and is achievable, what we don't want to be doing is is sort of panicking when when markets fall. And actually, I think we've all been in the industry long enough to know that that even though this was a different um, a different reason and a different sort of level of, of difficulty when it comes to right what is actually going to happen uh, we know that markets do recover in the fullness of time so there, there is obvious sort of strategies that can be done for each client that we look after 
in terms of the risk of the portfolio, the positioning of the portfolio, that you know everyone we reached out to were were very very happy to hear and 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 you know to, to the to a large extent followed our advice. So yeah, absolutely, being as being as visible as possible in times of stress is is I think really important. So Charlotte, coming back to some of those examples that we talked about, I'm wondering whether you could summarize a couple of those in in a bit more detail. Maybe people that you have taken on as clients in 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 recent years. Yeah. Okay. So actually, maybe make it even more current. I'll just talk about a couple of clients I've been working with this week. Um, so yesterday, talking to a, a, a family who've just had a new child. So you know, coming back to that event and trigger, you know, their their questions were around: Am I going to be able to afford sending my children to um, you know, privately educated school? Are we still going to be allowed to go on the same holidays? Allowed? Are we going to be able to afford? Let's use that word. Um, to go on the same holidays. Um, and it's really just helping them provide more clarity around around those questions. So it's medium to long term goals and working together to do some financial modelling um, and also setting the right behaviours along the way to make sure they're on track. Another um, family I was um, speaking to this morning was around um, they've been given some you know pension options and just wanted clarity on what was best for them. Um, is it best for them to stay within a what's called a defined benefit scheme or should they be taking a lump sum that was being offered to them? So it's really, again, giving them the information and the knowledge to be able to make those decisions themselves. Uh, A final example. So a client I was speaking to at the beginning of the week, um, they'd received a lump sum inheritance and just had never invested, didn't understand what that meant to them and been really successful in their own finance, um, in their own life and their um, their work, but hadn't invested before. So again, it was just having conversations around what they wanted to do with that money. It was a very personal thing because it was an inheritance. So a lot of those conversations were actually more emotion um, led and kind of goal led rather than actually um, finances. So it was just an emotional conversation because of the inheritance. It's interesting, isn't it? Because they're always... There's always a trigger, as you said, for people to first reach out, but it's very hard to pin down a few different triggers because there there are just so many and um, it, it varies for every individual. I don't know if you've got anything else to add to that, James. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's as Charlotte says, it's giving them the information. So I think if, if people, and, and going back to that education point as well in terms of schools and the curriculum, if people had a more, a more inherent knowledge of, of the stuff that we know and that we do with clients... I think there would be a, a you know, a, a more of a compulsion to reach out because I think, you know, the looking at some of the recent studies, the FCA, who are our, the Financial Conduct Authority, are our, our regulators, say that they reckon that about a third of adults over eighteen in the UK need advice but don't take it. They then they then go on to say that in 2017, 3.2 million people invested with financial advice, which moved up to 4.5 million in in, in 2018. However, that that means that still ninety one percent of adults don't take financial advice. So I think, I think certainly there is there is a huge amount of, of work for us to do in terms of financial education and 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 help people recognizing when financial advice is 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 needed for them. And I think more people than 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 they think, or, or people people would be surprised that actually a financial advisor can help them in in so many different ways. And I think that, you know, I'm sure Charlotte will say the same thing, but it's very, very rare that we would sit uh, and conduct a, a first meeting with somebody and we can't help them. And I guess even if it's just just one or two pointers, you know, it might not need a whole um, full plan of what the future might look like at that stage. It might just be 
someone who's looking to, to save for a house and, and telling them how much they need to put away each month and, and what bank account they should keep it into. So I think there are different, obviously huge differences in complexity of, of advice that is needed. Um, and, and actually, even if it is a 10 minute chat with someone, a financial advisor, there might not be lots to do at that stage, but it might give you a few snippets to take forward. Absolutely. And I think we're, what we're good at, and I'm sure others are as well, is that is that let, letting them know exactly that, that, you know what, you're doing, you're doing fine at the moment, you know, in two or three years time, we might need to reconnect. But actually, you know, at the moment, you're on you're on a good course. And I think, you know, that's a very helpful thing to give to people, because at least then that's one less thing to worry about, you know, especially at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, coming back to the loving what we do I think um you know a lot it's probably the same for you guys but a lot of my friends will just reach out and just ask me questions around exactly what you said Ben um am I on track for a house or what do these mortgage rates mean I think the problem with financial advice in the world of finances is that what you read is often scary and it instills fear and puts people off and I think the part of this job that I love is trying to break that down and actually make it not scary and help people understand the information um to, to use an old charlie oakle saying charlie's one of our, our advisors and, and and his tagline was always financial advice without the jargon so i think uh, I think that's something we all need i um i recently got a, a statement on a client's uh pension scheme and it was about 30 pages long and some of the language used in that document was so confusing there was it was littered with acronyms and you know even as someone in the industry it takes me time to to read through that and put all of that into an easy to to understand format so it's no wonder that people need advice and and over the years there's been less advisors in the market and i think what we're going to see moving forward is is that the world is not becoming a simpler place if, if anything it's becoming more complex so i mean charlotte do you do you think that there's going to be big changes over the next 12 months that, that mean there's even more of a reason for advice because just as we've talked about some triggers in your own life i assume there's triggers external as well yeah absolutely i think um going back to that event driven um indicator that people come for financial advice all the events that are going on going on around us are going to trigger people coming to us and again it's just about providing people with clarity um, it's just everyone hates the unknown and um, whether well, that's anything in life. And I think for us, it's the unknown for our clients it's the unknown around their finances. Um, and so, you know, just urging people to, to go see if they can seek out some advice from someone. Ask, you know, not even ask the questions. Often it's us asking the questions that clients don't know to ask. And then we can there that, you know, build a pitch from there. And is it about is it about helping clients really think about their future and, and prompting prompting them to think in, in in certain avenues or prompting them to think about things that maybe they wouldn't have previously. It's not it, I assume it's not just about tax and investments, James. It's about it's about the, the the real deep thinking as well. Yes, absolutely. It's about it's about identifying areas in which in which our clients haven't been as efficient or as or as engaged as, as they could be. So, you know, the the British person generally has has cash and property and, and and little else when we first meet them, and cash and property are you know two investments at the moment which perhaps aren't as as efficient and and, and recommend as recommended as others. So so our job is to is to fill those gaps in in their in their portfolio in their in their sort of you know overall investment um, you know holdings 
to make sure that they are doing what they should be doing. You know, Charlotte mentioned, you know, even children have allowances. And, and you know, when you engage with a financial advisor, you, you hear about those things and then you can make a decision whether you want to take advantage of them or not or, or how to apportion any, any investments that you make. So, you know, our job is, is or our role, and, and we are there to make people um, or, or to, to have people make easier decisions rather than just sort of, oh, I'll, I'll invest in another buy-to-let property, for example, um, which, which you know, may or may not be the right thing to do, but, but people do it because it's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, it's the unknown that people find hard to, you know, relate to and then and then start doing. So it's us making that more known and, and giving, giving the knowledge. Yeah, and I think it doesn't really matter what industry you're in, um, you know, from accountants to lawyers to, to creatives to, to actors, you know, people have blind spots and it's our job to help them help them see those blind spots and, and, and do the best thing uh, in, in, in the light of that. So, so as an advisor, Charlotte, there's obviously things that you need to be able to, to help a client. Is there, is there one thing that is more important than all of the others there? Yes, I would say the most important factor is time. So the power of time, not just from a planning point of view. As I said, I love to plan. And obviously, the longer we've got to plan, the better from a behavior point of view, from a using the allowances each year point of view, but also from a a power of time and compound interest. The longer you've got to invest those funds. So James talked about investing over the medium to long term and that power of compound interest over time. So. So, yeah, in answer to your question, I'd say time is definitely the most important factor. Yeah, I think I think just getting engaged with a financial advisor as soon as you can. If if there are there are areas of your life which you think, oh, I I, I think I should do that, but but generally don't, then you you fit the profile of someone who needs financial advice, and and that can be you know something anything as basic as filling your ISA allowance each year, all the way up to well, can I retire? Do I have enough money to retire? So you know, there's a huge huge range of of scenarios within Charlotte's um, criteria of time that that. Uh, our expertise can be applied to but I think yeah absolutely just engage with with a financial advisor as early as you can or as early as you think necessary uh, I think is the optimum optimum solution and I guess that comes back to that question you asked about how to find an advisor and you don't you know if you have time you don't have to make a quick decision you know we can meet with people and say actually for the moment I think you're doing a great job continue what you're doing and then in time they'll come back to us and say right now I'm ready um, so it just allows you to, um, you know, go away, think about it and come back. And that's absolutely fine. In, in a way, it helps um, confirm that that relationship is right. I think that's a really, really great place for us to, to wrap up there, because there, there's obviously some really insightful content there around what you need to be doing and when. But but equally, it, it sounds to me that it's all about talking as early as you can about these things. So to talk to your network find out if if there's there's anyone you could be speaking to who's a trusted source and to, to Charlotte and James's points talk to them as early as possible there might just be that reassuring conversation to, to say everything's okay or, or actually there might be some things you should be thinking about and on that note thank you both for for joining the free like me podcast today um, I'm sure the listeners found that extremely useful and please do uh, get involved in the comments and the conversation if you would like to talk about this in more detail. Thanks, James. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.